Uh, so there's two Bible readings today. So the first one is uh, Luke 18, 9 to 14, and then Matthew 6, and they can be found on page 3 of your booklets. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, and one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, and adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I've got. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Second reading is from Matthew 6, beginning at verse 9. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. So this morning we're going to talk a little bit about forgiveness and confession. And uh, whilst... I was preparing the sermon this morning, it just like occurred to me that I want to make sure that like I know that you know that I know that you know, however that works, that I'm like on the confessing side of this too. Like I am not the, um, the person who's going to ever absolve you of your sins. I'm not um, saying anything to you that I'm not also kind of saying to myself. So that's my little like asterisk at the start of this sermon. Because it's about forgiveness and it's about confession and what it looks like for us to come before God and experience the free grace of Jesus every day. So my question for you as we start thinking about this is, have you ever been forgiven? Either for like a super little thing or something that's been really quite significant. And like, how did that happen? How did you know that you'd been forgiven? Like, what went on? Were you told something? Um, was there an action? And, like, how did you feel in that forgiveness? So, on the front of your booklet, and maybe on the screen, there is a picture of a man, a father, giving his son a hug. And it's a wood-engraved illustration that's inspired by the, uh, the story in the Bible of the prodigal son, or as Beck called it a few weeks ago, the faithful father. And the artist is depicting this moment where the repentant son uh, returns, returns home and asks for forgiveness. And his father, who is filled with compassion, threw his arms around him and kissed him. And I want to suggest this morning that I think confession, at the roots of it, is like this picture. I think confession is like a hug. (laughs) Because it's in confession where we um, experience at the same time being truly and completely and fully known by God, 
and completely and fully loved at the same time. And it's in confession that we're able to come with like all of the darkness and all of the weaknesses and all of our flaws and all of that like stuff that maybe this is just in my inner world, but all of the stuff that goes on that actually I am terrified to tell anybody about because you probably wouldn't like me. But I can come to God with all of that stuff and never fear that he is not going to love me. In fact, he's going to love me, he's going to like me, and he's going to celebrate me as a person that he has made. And I have this memory um, of when I was a child of being like caught out in a lie. And in the scheme of things, it wasn't a big deal, but I was so ashamed and deeply embarrassed. And so I just I was caught out in my bedroom, and I like ran down the corridor, like through the kitchen, because our house is a, was a weird shape growing up, and then like turned left and headed into the first room that I saw open, and slammed the door behind me and like sat down so that no one could get into the room, and just sitting there feeling so ashamed that even though it was not a big deal in the scheme of things, I'd been caught out. And there was a knock on the door, and the voice said, like, are you okay? Like, you can come out. And I'm a very proud person, so I did not come out. I sat there. And I sat in the darkness all by myself. And after I sort of heard more, like, normal kitchen sounds happening, I came out and expecting, genuinely expecting, to be reprimanded, to, like, have this, like, come on, girl, like, you need to do better kind of conversation. But actually, what I received was a hug and the person saying, I love you. What the Bible tells us is this is what happens with us and God. And so this is our last teaching series on our series in prayer. And we've been going through the Lord's Prayer, which is why we prayed it at the start of the service. But my takeaway from this series is that prayer is actually more of a practice than it is a theory. We can talk about prayer, like I can stand up here and hopefully give some sort of really inspirational talk about why you should do confession. But it's actually in the act of praying, and in this last week, it's been in the act of confessing myself that I think God has taught me the most. And so we will chat a little bit about confession, but like a heads up, what we're going to do after this is spend some time confessing together, and then we're going to do some prayer stations. Um, The the common response to um, how has prayer gone this week in your life, um, for many of us is time and being time poor. So we're going to give time in our service this morning. And what I hope you take away from this, this um, me talking, us praying, um, is that in the practice of confession, we actually find an abundance of grace, we find lavish amounts of love, and we find deep intimacy with God. And that as we bring the dark bits of our life into the presence of God, it actually deepens our intimacy with him. And our relationship starts to feel and look a lot like that. But to talk about confession, we have to talk about sin. And putting all of my cards on the table, I don't like talking about sin because it's not very popular. And I was saying, we were praying this morning out the front, and I was like, guys, I just don't like talking about this. And this week, I think I've been reflecting a bit more on like why that is. Like why is someone who is literally paid by a church to be a pastor doesn't like to talk about sin? And I think it's because 
I too have grown up in our current cultural moment where sin has been changed. And I think now what we think of as sin is very just like interpersonal. And so it results in conflict. So what do I mean? It's that uh, sin now kind of only seems to refer to me not celebrating someone in my life and like not affirming someone in my life. We've done some really good work as a society, I think, in, um, in celebrating different individuals and what we all bring and that everyone doesn't have to look the same and everyone doesn't have to have the same story. But I think the shadow side of that is that if I don't celebrate you, that's sin. But that means that sin doesn't have a, like, a vertical thing with God in our context anymore. And so I'm standing up here being like, oh, no, sin has like, a, has like an interpersonal conflict element to it. But that's just not what the Bible primarily talks about. And so uh, I think we can all agree, whether you're a Christian or not here this morning, I think we can all agree that there's something wrong with the world. The question that we come to with confession is, is the problem entirely out there or is the problem of what's going on also in here? So let's just go back to basics just for a moment. Like what is the biblical concept of sin? So in the Bible's opening pages, we have humans and we have them naked and unashamed. And this is not, this is not like, it's so much more than physical nakedness. Like this isn't like a hippie lifestyle, but this is a nakedness of soul. This is a, a nakedness and unashamed in terms of the relationship that these humans have with God. And flip over the page, or in my Bible, the printer's so small, you don't even have to turn the page. And this nakedness gets covered up and like shame enters the story. So these humans, Adam and Eve, believed in God. In fact, God's walking around the garden. They even have a relationship with God. They just didn't seem to trust God. Instead, they believed the lie that Satan said. They believed that God was holding, some, holding out on them, holding goodness back from them, and that away from God, there was actually a, a better and more abundant life. They trusted Satan's temptation. They trusted themselves instead of trusting the goodness of the God who had created them and who they knew. And so, in, like, this is what the Bible calls sin. Sin is an attempt to meet my deep needs apart from God. Sin is when you try to meet your deep needs by your own resources and apart from God. So immediately, as Adam and Eve have done this, they feel shame and they leg it. They hide and they cover up. They hide from each other. They hide from Satan and they hide from God. And in their hiding, they lose intimacy with each other and they lose intimacy with God. And this intimacy that was once kind of like embodied by their nakedness is now covered up. And the Bible tells us that God cares so much about sin so much that he's not ever going to compromise himself in order to have a naked and unashamed relationship with humans again. But what he is going to do is pursue humans and come after us with grace and with love and an offering of a relationship. And this is a way that you can just describe the whole Bible story, and this story reaching its climax in the story and person of Jesus. And so the space, you could say, that like we occupy now is this. You are loved. You are loved right now, and you are loved without qualification or restriction. 
You are loved for who you are. You are loved in a way that is much greater and larger and grander than you could ever imagine. And you are loved in a way that you cannot lose. But the existence of sin means you're going to struggle to trust this and you're going to struggle to trust God's good plans for you. Sin means you're going to do, as I do, very regularly try to fill your deepest needs by your own resources. Now, I want to stop for a moment and say there is a long list of things that the Bible says is not sin. Things like uh, your physical health, being physically or mentally unwell, not having the reason, like being poor and needing to rely on other people's resources for you. There's so many things that are not sin. But what the Bible makes abundantly clear, I think, is that this nuanced approach to sin means that actually we we are all caught up in it. See, like, we might remember the story of the guy who is lowered down through the roof with Jesus, and Jesus makes it very clear that the guy's physical um, condition, like the fact that he's paralyzed, like, that's not the problem here. (laughs) He heals him for sure, but he doesn't, that's not the causal problem of what the big thing that's going on for him. The big thing is that he needs to be made right with God. And so if after the service you want to like talk about like actually like when I think about sin, like what, what is it? Uh, let's have that chat because the Bible is so nuanced and I have come from a church, I have church story in my background where that wasn't nuanced. And so I'm very, very committed to having that conversation with you. But what I think I want us to think about this morning is that sin has an inward component that, it, that impacts all of us where our desires and where our motivations, where our hopes and dreams are impacted, and that has an outward component as well, that these mismet longings, they have consequences. They have consequences on our relationships with other people. They have consequences on our relationship with ourselves. They have consequences on our communities and our society, on the climate and the environment around us. Have, yeah, in this last week maybe, uh, have you recently thought about how the, the darkness in your life, how the sin in your life, how you have been meeting your own needs apart from God has had an impact. Because even as Christians, we still do this. We still time and time again try to meet our own needs. My little moment of honesty this morning is that my Achilles heel is that I just really need people to like me. Like you have no idea how much this unless I keep, you know, in the power of the Spirit, keep it at bay, can just, like, drive my actions. My deep need to be in meaningful relationship with people and meaningful relationship with God is distorted by my desire to be liked by everybody. And the impact this has on my life is real. It means that I'll actually be a little bit deceptive to avoid conflict sometimes. And it means that I will way before social media was a thing, would present an edited version of myself out into the public, one that was more palatable for you and one that you're more likely to like. And it means that I would rather run myself into the ground than let you down. And it means I will nearly almost always be joyful until that like split second when suddenly I'm not and I'm just like a puddle of tears on the floor, which you might have seen at some point. And the consequences of this sin, 
for example, my deception, it is damaged relationships. Like, I have been caught out in this, and I have broken trust with people. It's with the planet and the people around me. It's with God. By saying these little lies to make myself look better, I really have lost people's trust. So there's this kind of, in my mind anyway, this slightly, it's a bit gross sort of image of sin. It's like a parasite that has really, really long tentacles. And those tentacles kind of just like get into everything. And this deep longing of the human heart to be completely known whilst being completely loved, well, I think for us, the impact of sin means that we don't trust God to actually do that for us. So this is why in the Lord's Prayer, I think, Jesus is inviting us each day lead us to, to pray, lead us not into temptation, but to deliver us from evil. There are these temptations for us to not lean into the goodness and the grace of God. There are these temptations to lean into those other things that I need you to like me, and so I'm going to behave badly or dishonestly in order that you might. But the good news of this prayer is that before we get to that, we're actually invited to pray, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Because it's in confession where we come to God and say, I trust you, God. I trust you with the darkest parts of me and the impact that it has on the world. And sin and evil might be this roadblock to relationship with God, but the good news is actually that the power of the gospel um, is that God has pursued us in love in the person of Jesus. And because of the cross, there is no, the, sorry, because of the cross, sin no longer has power in this world. Evil no longer has power. These things that are pulling us away from grace, that the, Satan or the evil one is pulling in on our lives, that no longer has power. Jesus is king. Jesus is in charge of this world. And so when we come to um, confession as a type of prayer, we're not doing it in a, oh God, please don't hurt me. We're not doing it in a, let me just crawl across the finish line kind of way. Jesus died that we might confess and confess freely and with confidence that God hears us and God loves us and God forgives us. Jesus died and rose again that the power of the Holy, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in us. There is a restorative and a reconciliation and a healing power from God that is available in confession. We come into confession that's like a hug, a hug with the most powerful but the most loving ruler of the world. And it's not this kind of hug that you, um, you know those kind of like awkward hugs or those post-COVID hugs where you're like, am I really meant to be hugging you? I'm not entirely sure. So I'll just kind of go in and then like launch out straight away. It's like not like that. It's the opposite. It's the hug of the best friend that is you just run to them at the airport because you haven't seen them in ages and you are giving them a big squeeze. It's the hug of when your kid puts, your, puts their hands up and looks at you and asks for a hug with like tears streaming down their face. Like it's that hug. It's the hug that you give someone when you... They have just shared something with you and they're sad about it and you just want to give them a hug. Like it's that kind of hug. That's what God does for us in confession. Bonhoeffer said, um, the person who is alone with their sin 
is utterly alone. But if you can bring yourself to come to God with all of your baggage, like all of your baggage. We were talking about Gilmore Girls before. One of my favorite quotes from Gilmore Girls is that Laura Lai needs her very own baggage handler because of all of the stuff in her life that she's bringing along with her. Come with your baggage. Come with your baggage handler if you need one and bring it all to God. And that is when you will discover that you are not alone. Now, a little point of clarification, maybe. (laughs) The point of the gospel is that we deeply desire to be fully known and fully loved, but we cannot achieve that on our own. There is nothing you can do to make God love you. You, You're going to try. I try. You're going to try. There is nothing you can do to make God love you because he does And this, in our Bible reading, is what the first guy didn't get. The Pharisee, he comes and says, God, I thank you that I am not like these other people. How excellent am I? I have done this and this and this, and I have not done this and this and this. And he's coming to God, and he lists all of his good points, and he just fails to see and acknowledge that he too has sin in his life. He's a human. And he doesn't come and is sort of simply himself before God. Whereas this is what the second guy gets. He comes knowing that there's stuff in his life, I don't know if you notice the detail, he doesn't even look up. He can't even look. In fact, he beats his breasts and cries from a distance, God have mercy on me, a sinner. Because he kind of sees his true self and he doesn't hide away from it. He comes to God as it. And the remarkable thing of this story, that was remarkable to the people who heard it at the time, and I think is remarkable for us today, is that Jesus tells us he received mercy. He received forgiveness. He's the one that's justified. The guy that came with nothing has received that embrace. And I think we would all like to think that we're like the tax collector. I suspect we're more like the Pharisee than we'd like. Because the other question I've been pondering this week is, despite this, despite this hug, why is it that we don't come in confession every day? I think there are a few reasons. I wonder if any of these you relate to. So I think one, I wonder if one reason is that we actually just want to be positive, affirming, kind of happy people. And therefore, we end up treating sin like it's just not that serious. Um, We would rather, like the Pharisee, list our good qualities, pray for those good things, not come with those sad things. Well, confession is usually, like, it's a prayer, right? So there's there's an assumption going on in this conversation that we pray, that we are praying people. And I suspect that a bunch of us, maybe, at the root of it, aren't really. So if we're not praying, we're definitely not confessing. Perhaps you've just gotten really used to grace. I mean, if you've grown up in the church and heard about it a bit, you might just be like, yes, but my sin is a past thing, right? I'm living in victory. This is who I am now. I am a chosen child of God. That's true. 
But it's not the only thing that's true. Simultaneously, we also try to meet our own needs and deep needs by our own resources. And I think the one for me, anyway, is that I just find the idea of facing my imperfections every day exhausting. I'm an Enneagram 7, if that helps you understand that at all. And I am not growing in a rate that I would like. So the idea that I come before God, I'm like, hey, God, it's me again. You know that list from yesterday of things that where I just... Um, you know, I leant into the darkness rather than leaning into the light. Well, it's the same list as yesterday, and, like, I find that exhausting. I don't even find it embarrassing anymore. I just find it exhausting. But I think what it boils down for us, uh, for me at least, is actually just not trusting God with those bits of my life. That to come to God, I'm in my exhaustion, I'm imposing on him a sense of disappointment. And he's just not disappointed He's not, like, looking at me being like, I know, Emma, it's the same list as yesterday. Like, what, girl, what's going on? Fine, okay, well, we'll go through this and I'll hug you, but, like, whatever. Like, that's just not it. <laughs> I, at the crux of it, I think I still think that grace is a bit too good to be true. So I would rather go through life pretending that sin doesn't exist rather than being willing to come before God and experience healing. But regardless of any of those things that you may or may not uh, relate to, grace abounds, and so much. Uh, Jesus did not reveal to us a God who was cool and calculated. Jesus revealed to us a God who is deeply personal and who has an emotional response to sin and the, emo and the consequences of it. I wonder how you might, like, what emotion might you attribute to God in all of this? Well, Hebrews tells us it's empathy. That Jesus empathizes with us in our sin. He doesn't condemn us. He's not annoyed by it. He empathizes with us. That Jesus is a co-sufferer with us in our sin. He suffers with us. He suffers with us the consequences of our thoughts and our actions, our behaviors, our omissions. He suffers the shame and embarrassment with us. He, is, he suffers the estrangement from God that we experience. And I reckon hearing this growing up, I thought that was a reason for guilt. Guys, Jesus, you know, I think I'd heard like, well, Jesus did it too. So, you know, come on. That's not what uh, Hebrews is saying at all. Jesus doesn't empathize with us in our weakness to guilt us into doing better. Jesus empathizes in our weakness as a in, from a place of intimacy. He gets it. He knows it. Jesus, who was tempted yet did not sin, suffered, suffered the shame and embarrassment of the God, of, sorry, of the cross. He was estranged from God. But it's so much more than just him getting it and the empathy. There's actually power that has happened in the resurrection. He has done what is needed for us to be holy. Like that problem that sin created at the start where God didn't want to um, compromise himself but in order to reach out to us. Well, the, the cross and the resurrection fixes that. God can now reach out to us 
with no compromise to himself, we can be holy and be in full relationship with God. And this is, in a way, this is a way of describing the Christian hope. God enables us to be naked and unashamed in front of him, and it does not depend on your performance. So if you wouldn't necessarily identify as a Christian this morning, there's an invitation for you to come before God. And not like the Pharisee, feeling like you have to kind of list all your good points in order to get into the room. But like the other guy. (laughs) Because whether you mostly see that there's evil and darkness out there, or whether you're coming with the like deep burden of the evil and darkness being in here, I think we know that actually everything isn't fine and you can come to Jesus and ask for forgiveness. If you're here this morning and you're just feeling a bit burdened by shame and like heavy under the weight of the dark things, I want to say that God sees every part of your life. He sees every dark bit and he loves you completely. He does this to you this morning, and every day, and every day, and every day. And I, my experience is, and I think the Bible confirms this, that as we bring these dark bits of ourselves into the light, in the presence of God, a weight gets lifted off our shoulders, and we can walk freely and lightly. So what does this look like in our day-to-day life? Well, there's been a, a practice among, within the church called the prayer of examine. And this is what I commend to you, five minutes at the end of every day. And a prayer of examine is about looking for movement, the movement of God in our lives, noticing where he shows up every day. And it's about being intentional about this. So in your little handout... You'll notice under the Forgive Us Our Sins heading that there's just a little instruction um, or like guiding kind of thing if you want to do that this week. Because the two things that Examine does is you look back over your past 24 hours or whatever it is and you go, God, where have I seen you at work? Where have I seen bits of life that I can kind of draw to? Where can I, where have I lent into relationships? Where have I experienced love? Where have I given love? Where have I walked in step with the Spirit? Where have fruit of the Spirit been evident in my life? And I thank you for those things. But we also look back and we look for th- uh, things of death, or I think the word, fancy word is consolation. And you go, well, actually, where have I not seen that? Where have I not been walking in step with the Spirit? Where have I um, not received or not given love? And bring to those things uh, before God. And the phrase that I use personally is, Jesus, would you help me to freely receive your grace? If you have got kids and you want the kid family friendly version of this, you could call it playing I spy God. Where have you seen God at work in your day? And where can we pray to see him at work tomorrow? Um, I don't think everything gets solved by an app by any means. There's also an app called Lectio 365 that I commend to you. If, you're, uh, if you like guidance in prayer, you can just press play 
and a delightful British person will talk you through a beautiful prayer. But the other thing that we do, so if that's our personal practice, our corporate practice is you might have noticed um, at Mary Creek, um, we say a prayer of confession most weeks and we do that together. And we're going to do that in a moment. And we do it for a number of reasons, but I think the one I want to highlight to you to get, uh, this morning is sin can, my experience is that sin can be one of the most isolating things that happens in my life. I think I'm the only one struggling with this. And I was walking with a friend on Thursday after work and just like sharing a bit about my life. And the best thing she said to me was, oh, doesn't everyone struggle with that? And I was like, oh. Oh, okay, cool. Corporate confession is like doing that to each other. It is the most leveling playing field thing uh, because it's not that like you have sinned, but we have sinned and we stand together and then the person up the front, which will be Mark this morning. Now, Mark does not have special powers or special skills to be able to absolve you of your sin. But at the end of the prayer, there's something that is often called an assurance and the person leading the service will say that. And again, there's nothing, it's not that the power is not that they are saying it, but that they are speaking the words of God over us in that moment, that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And so we're going to do confession this morning. I want to invite you to stand just to make it feel a bit different. And Mark's going to come up and lead us in that time. <laughs> 